Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we kick off a new week. Hope you had a great weekend. We had a great time last week in Kansas City at the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention. Hope you enjoyed our broadcast from there. Of course, um, Veterans Day, we thank all of our veterans, all those who have and who are serving our country. We appreciate your sacrifice and your commitment. Thank you so very, very much. Coming up on our program today, a look at the weather, which has really gotten wintry in many parts of the country. We'll talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. We'll talk some biodiesel issues with Kurt Kavarik with the National Biodiesel Board and talk trade with Brian Keel, Executive Director of the Farmers for Free Trade Coalition. But we start things off with Sarah Wyant, editor and publisher of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Good to see you last week in Kansas City. We got to talk to and hear from a lot of ag leaders, didn't we? We sure did. It was a great convention, and congratulations again to you, Mike, for your induction into the NAFB Hall of Fame. Very well deserved. Well, thank you. It was a, a great honor and a, and a great night, and I again, I thank you and everyone else who helped make that possible, and so many people did. I, again, my great uh, thanks and appreciation to everyone. Well, let's talk about the, some of the things we heard last week. Um, we talked with a lot about trade with some USDA officials that were in Kansas City, and uh, it sounds like, uh, I mean, there's hope that something will get worked out uh, with China with these talks coming up. But it still sounds like there's a long ways to go. Well, that's certainly the case. We sat down with Undersecretary Ted McKinney, and his interview is up on our Open Mic podcast right now if you want the more in-depth version. But I think he's working closely with USTR's Greg Dowd, who's also at the convention, and somewhat bullish on the potential for resolving the deals with China that are still outstanding. But I think you were in the room, too, when Greg said he wasn't quite sure how this meeting on the sidelines of the G20 at the end of this month is going to turn out. Now, we did get one scoop uh, during the time that we were in Kansas City. Our trade editor caught Ambassador Terry Branstad as he was meeting with Sonny Perdue and also just fresh from a meeting with Bob Lighthizer, the U.S. Trade Representative, and the former governor of Iowa, who, of course, is very close to the Chinese leaders, said that he was hopeful that there could at least be a framework for future discussions coming out of that G20 meeting and a a personal meeting between President Trump and President Xi. So uh, hope, I guess, springs eternal, and at least if they're talking or there's a chance of talks, that, that gives folks Hope. Meanwhile, we turn our attention to the lame duck session of Congress and getting this farm bill done. I talked last week with Colin Peterson. He's adamant about getting it done this this year yet. Uh, Let's see if they can get it done. They've still got some things to work out. They have a lot of things to work out, but all things are possible. And as you mentioned, hope springs eternal out in farm country that they can sit down and just uh, get this deal done. And of course, because the Congressional Budget Office has to give them final scores that are going to work for everything before the end of the year if they intend to get this done, and that takes time. So I think all eyes are on uh, Mr. Peterson as well as Mr. Conway, the current chairman, 
and uh, they're going to be meeting today with a full understanding that Mr. Peterson will be the likely chairman starting with the new Congress next year. And so it behooves Mr. Conway to try to find a way to still get this deal done. And I think folks are really optimistic that Mr. Peterson has said he wants to get it done before he takes the chair. So uh, a lot of good things are happening. I think we still have to remember Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, who will remain as a Senate Majority Leader, also a Senate Ag Committee member. He really wants to get it done because he wants hemp as an agricultural commodity. So a lot of the right things are happening, but um, they have to be working in the spirit of compromise. And my understanding is they're going to make a really big push this week. I just can't imagine that Chairman Conaway wants to let this slip away, a chance to get the Farm Bill done on his watch. I can't imagine he wants to let it go to next year and uh, let uh, the the Democrats rewrite a Farm Bill. Well, that doesn't seem to be what would be the common sense expectation, but he has to do some other calculations in the political math, and that is how he's going to get whatever is a, a final package among the big four passed in the House. And if Mr. Peterson can bring all the Democrats, that's one thing. Uh, But if the Republicans don't have the members of the Freedom Caucus and they don't have a majority of their own members, it's yet to be seen whether the GOP leadership will let that happen. So there's the committee math and then there's the full uh, House floor math that I think has to be in uh, Mr. Conway's mind and what that looks like in terms of a compromise, especially on the SNAP provisions, I think is going to be the really tricky situation. Yeah, I think Chairman Conaway's in a really tough position. He's got a lot of pressure on him. He's trying to forge this uh, compromise, and as you said, he's got to get the support of his own party, and he's got some big political hurdles still to overcome. Meanwhile, I'm looking ahead to next year. I think it's going to be fascinating to see the approach this new Congress takes towards the new NAFTA. Now, Colin Peterson said he's for it, and he's going to push for its passage, but uh, that'll be a different ball game come next year. It certainly will, and I think this is a time where Farmers and ranchers have a real opportunity to try to educate the new members of Congress who were elected, regardless of political party. They need to explain the importance of this and certainly look for coalitions that can help advance this new agreement and uh, get it past the finish line. Because there's going to be a lot of people who aren't familiar with it, aren't really familiar with agricultural issues. And if you look at the election results, you can see kind of a big rural-urban divide in some of the vote counts. So uh, if there's a chance to come together and to make the case for why that could be an important deal, I think this is the time to do so. Having said that, I think it's also uh, important to look at some of the coalitions that could be formed right now for NAFTA passage, especially with the automobile industry, because they certainly have a lot to gain as well. So uh, if you can get a coalition of the willing, it might still happen. But right now we're not hearing NAFTA anywhere near the top five of things that uh, are likely on the agenda. Yeah, I think the Democrats have a lot of other things in mind for when they take power in the House. One thing about it, the change of committee chairmanships, I think agriculture will see the the least amount of change. Uh, we've seen Colin Peterson before in that position. We know how he works in a bipartisan fashion. So of all the committee chairs that will be changing, uh, that one will be the least drastic change, I would think. 
Absolutely. But if you look at all the others, as we wrote about a couple of weeks ago in our newsletter, you can see that there are some fairly drastic changes in some of the other committees that are very key to agriculture. Uh, appropriations has a subcommittee chair, Sanford Bishop, likely to be the chair there who's very familiar with agriculture and close to Secretary Sonny Perdue. But as I said, a lot of the others aren't really familiar with agricultural issues. And so if you look at judiciary and ways and means and things like that, you can really see some pretty stark differences in their either understanding of ag or lack thereof. Yep, it's going to be a new ball game for sure. Well, Good to see you last week, Sarah. Thanks for being with us today. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. My pleasure. Sarah Wyatt, editor and publisher of AgriPulse Communications. All right. Winter weather starting to settle in. We're going to talk with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Some of the best sounds you'll ever hear are generic, safe, effective, even money-saving, just like FDA-approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit fda.gov slash generic drugs. Generics are safe, effective, and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, 
the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's talk weather with DGM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. And Bryce, it has a wintry feel in the the Midwest. Yes, it does, Mike. And, uh, you know, we've had a a, a round of uh, pretty harsh conditions uh, slide all the way south into the southern plains and the Gulf Coast. And, it's going to be with us for this uh, week and probably all the way through into the middle part of next week at least. Uh, as far as the uh, temperatures are concerned, we're looking at you know much below normal conditions. I know that November we think of as being a colder month, but this, uh, this temperature trend is more like January. Uh, so we are a little bit uh, out of kilter in terms of the calendar for the uh, temperature trend. And uh, as we're visiting today, there's a pretty good round of snow in the southern plains uh, and even into the Texas panhandle. They could have probably six to seven inches of snow by the time it's all done. And then uh, in the delta south to the Gulf Coast, they're getting thunderstorms, pretty heavy rains, possible severe weather. Uh, There are tornado watches uh, right along the Gulf Coast. Then north of that, uh, we are just uh, shivering like crazy. And, again, I don't think that it's going to let up probably until the middle part of the week anyway before we get out of these real bitter cold conditions. Okay, what change? What's, the, what's happening in the, uh, the systems that make this big change take place? Well, over the last uh, week there was a, a strong trough of uh, upper-level uh, low pressure uh, that formed out of the Canadian prairies and then slid south. and. Uh, We've had a pretty persistent round of uh, upper-level high pressure, uh, a ridge along the west coast and all the way into Alaska, and that, of course, is responsible for the uh, very dry conditions they have with the tremendous wildfires in California. But uh, for us, uh, the the, uh, circumstances have have, uh, kind of opened the door for this colder air to move in out of the uh, northern latitudes. And slide into the mid-latitudes and, and stick around. We are going to see this uh, trough slowly work its way eastward over the next week, and by the end of the week, uh, that trough should be over the east coast, so that will uh, give a little bit more of a chance for some westerly winds to move in and uh, help to uh, you know kind of curtail some of this real cold shot that we've got. But until then, it's uh, going to be pretty tough, and... Uh, you know, it's it's obviously going to be pretty stressful also. Yeah, there's still some harvesting to be done. There is uh, harvesting uh, that still has to take place. Um, I think that this cold has probably helped some of the wetter areas to dry up, or not dry up, but uh, freeze up. And, uh, you know, so if uh, that happens, then you can drive on it, uh, even with a combine and a grain cart, and and uh, go through the field that way. So from that standpoint, it's been pretty beneficial. I know that in uh, some parts of the uh, northern plains, northern Midwest, that 
uh, harvest barely got done, and then the cold moved in and kind of sealed the ground up. So any chance to do fall field work uh, had a real short window, and uh, so there's a lot of work that may not get done now until we go into next spring, so you have that impact as well. Well, I have to admit I'm not a big fan of winter, and the fact that uh, we have this what now feels like an early start, and you told us last week you think it uh, could be a repeat of this year where it hangs on for a while into spring uh, makes me feel like a better brace for a long winter. Well, that you know that still is a, is a point of uh, you know kind of contention, uh, frankly, when uh, when you think about how the winter pattern is going to evolve uh, the. NOAA Climate Prediction Center uh, issued an update last week saying that El Nino is still on pace to develop and uh, be the main influencing fe- uh, feature for our conditions uh, through the winter season, still calling for temperatures to be basically near to above normal over the Midwest, and uh, you know precipitation to kind of focus over the southern plains into the Gulf Coast. Well, we certainly have that going on. As far as the moisture is concerned, if you just look at at the features of the of the uh, setup that we have for this week, but uh, along with that, uh, it still is obviously on the cold side. And in our view, the uh, El Nino influence is looking to be not that strong, uh, which opens the way for more of these cold shots to uh, come in and kind of cover the entire central part of the country. Uh, periodically all the way through the winter, and that would lead to a colder uh, than normal winter, and it would also uh, bring up the possibility for late winter uh, precipitation, mainly in the form of snow, maybe some uh, freezing moisture to uh, be a, a part of things as well. And so, like I say, there's, there's uh, some contention as to exactly um, how big of an influence El Nino is going to be this year. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that the uh, water temperatures in the Pacific are not really likely to get much above the, the uh, very uh, beginnings of the threshold of the level for those uh, El Nino conditions to go on. And in fact, uh, both the Climate Prediction Center and the Australian Weather Bureau have noted that uh, the atmospheric features, uh, the Southern Oscillation Index values, uh, haven't corresponded with the temperatures, uh, so that there there still is kind of a a little bit of a mixed message that the Pacific conditions are given uh, when it's uh, you know when we're talking about the uh, analysis of how the Pacific is actually acting right now. Talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, take us around uh, the world. Let's start in South America. Are they still having favorable weather. They certainly are in Brazil. Uh, there's going to be more rain this week in central Brazil uh, with oh, probably uh, two to four inch rains. Uh, the soil moisture is uh, ample, and even in the drier areas of northeastern Brazil, Mike, they've started to get some rainfall. And so, you know, you have to think that the, uh, I don't know, the vast majority of their soybean areas, probably 90% or even a little bit higher are looking at uh, favorable soil moisture right now. Now, Argentina could get a little wet, and and by a little, I mean too wet. Uh, We're going to see probably 5 to 7-inch rainfall amounts over the entire central crop area in Argentina. Uh, That is going to cause some flooding, could cause replanting, and I don't think it's going to be all that good for the wheat crop there. 
because they do have wheat that's getting ready to harvest, and we know that heavy rain is not a good feature at harvest time for wheat. So a mixed bag there. All right. Uh, what about other parts of the world? The uh, situation in Russia is uh, quite mild right now, and uh, the the general opinion is that this uh, end of the uh, summer and into the fall season has actually evolved pretty well for uh, getting their new winter wheat crop up and going. Uh, so you have to think right now that the Russian crop is doing all right. It is a little bit dry in in parts of Europe, but they have had some uh, better conditions, particularly in France and Germany. They've had some decent rainfall here in the last week to 10 days, and so that's been pretty useful. And then in India, um, even though the market uh, doesn't uh, look too, uh, you know, too closely at what's going on there, they've had a uh, pretty inconsistent start uh, to their winter uh, crop season, and in fact, the uh, monsoon uh, performance this year was a little bit less than average, and so they do have some areas where it's uh, on the dry side in parts of India at this point. And back here, uh, what's about the situation? Any relief, any uh, help uh, in the weather out in California as they battle those fires? I, I wish there would be, but uh, it it does not look like uh, anything's in the cards uh, for either uh, relief on, on the precip side or uh, to uh, calm down the periodic Santa Ana winds that, that have driven those fires. Um, uh, looking at the bulletins today, there are smoke or air quality advisories uh, throughout uh, central and southern California um, on, the, uh, on the western side of the uh, southern Sierras, and, and uh, then there are red flag wildfire warnings pretty much running the entire middle part of the state of California from north to south just about the entire uh, length of the state. Uh, so this um, very dry pattern is uh, not likely to break this week, and I don't think that they're going to see very much relief uh, through the end of the month anyway. So it's uh, just more of the same and uh, more danger uh, for the uh, fire situation that they have. Boy, looking across the country, pretty active weather map here in November. Yes, it is. Uh, the... Uh, Circumstances are certainly stressful in the southern plains today uh, with some heavy snows and then those uh, rains in the delta and, and everything. Um, the the um, cold is also a big feature, so there's, there's not too much of uh, any one particular area that has a, a real uh, mild uh, kind of, uh, well, if you want to say worry-free uh, situation at this point. There, there is something uh, for about uh, any feature on the uh, fall weather scene that we've got happening right now. Yeah, you've got a lot to keep track of. Bryce, thank you very much. Appreciate it. You're welcome, Mike. DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about some biodiesel concerns. The U.S. Department of Commerce granting a request to the government of Argentina to initiate changed circumstances reviews of U.S. trade duties imposed on Argentina's biodiesel companies. We'll talk with the National Biodiesel Board why they oppose that review and possible changes. That's next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. On road or off road, you'll find the FS lubricant you need from our full line of premium quality products. At FS, our lubricants use the highest quality base oils and latest additive technology to meet and exceed most manufacturer specifications. Advanced protection against wear ensures you'll get maximum value from both your lubricant and equipment investments. 
Squeeze every bit of performance out of every piece of equipment you own. Let the FS Energy Specialists help you go further. Go further with FS. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information. We all want more time with our dads, brothers, partners, friends, and our sons. Time for more conversations, more catch-ups, more of what life's all about. Now is our time to make it happen. Together, we can stop men dying too young by tackling the big issues. Prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, suicide. It's time to act. Sign up at Movember.com and raise funds to help change the face of men's health. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. We've got a Monday mix in the grain and oil seed sector, minus signs in soybean futures, corn near unchanged, and wheat futures trending 7 to 8 higher in Chicago. January soybeans tested 20-day moving average support last week. The burden on the bean bulls to crack first resistance at $9 and three quarters of a cent. January hovering near 8.80 and three quarters, down six cents in early trade on Monday. In corn, fractional changes. December slid modestly lower on Friday. For now, a short-term daily top and strong resistance said to be at 3.78 and a half. That'd be the October 15th daily high. Chicago wheat December up eight and a quarter at 5.10 and a quarter. Kansas City penny and a fraction higher, three to four better in Minneapolis spring wheat. Weather-wise, the U.S. and European models said to be in good agreement through around eight days. Cold and dry weather favoring some of the remaining harvest in the western Midwest. Unsettled weather seen in the eastern Midwest and colder weather in the southern plains for winter wheat development. For livestock at the Merck on this Monday, in live cattle futures, we've got a mix. 40 cents on either side of steady. December up 40 cents at 114.97. Cash cattle sales steady to $2 lower last week. This week's show list likely to be a little bit bigger than a week ago. In feeder cattle, a mix there as well. 12 higher to 35 cents lower. Lean hog futures, $1.70 to $2.30 Higher, today's hog slaughter estimated at 449,000 head compared to 475,000 head a week ago. The Dow down 254 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. 
And welcome back. Some things going on with biodiesel we want to get an update on. Kurt Kavarik is with us, National Biodiesel Board's Vice President, Public Affairs. Kurt, thanks for being with us. Glad to be with you this morning, Mike. Okay, so some of these things I think a lot of us aren't don't keep track of, aren't really aware of, but they certainly can have a big impact. And uh, we're looking at uh, the National Biodiesel Board's opposition to the Commerce Department's uh, review of some biodiesel duties when it comes to Argentina. So can you bring us up to date? Absolutely. So just a little bit of history. As you may know and your listeners may know, for uh, close to two years now, the uh, National Biodiesel Board and our, our Fair Trade Coalition has been working to prevent unfair uh, imports of heavily subsidized and dumped uh, products both from Argentina and Indonesia. Uh, over the last 12 months, we were, we were very successful. Uh, the ITC, the International Trade Commission, uh, sided with us in demonstrating the, the harm to the U.S. industry as a result of the unfairly imported product. And so in January and April of this year, uh, the Commerce Department imposed cash duties on both Argentinian and Indonesian product as a result. Um, last week, we were made aware that uh, we, we've been aware that the, the, the government of Argentina particularly has been pursuing um, ways to maneuver around or to get commerce to reconsider those rates. We were, we were hopeful that they weren't going to entertain such a review, and last week we learned from the uh, Department of Commerce that they are, in fact, going to grant a what they call a changed circumstances review to the government of Argentina to look at whether uh, the situation has changed to merit um, a, a lowering or somehow modification of those uh, uh, import duties. Um, in our opinion, it's, it's unfounded. It's unprecedented. There is a process whereby... Uh, they can appeal those decisions by the Department of Commerce, but, but this, this action at this time, in our opinion, is, is wholly unwarranted and uh, undeserving. Uh, Argentina argues that they've modified their um, uh, export differential taxes that led to um, these uh, import duties being put in place, and our response is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a temporary could be a temporary policy change that doesn't warrant kind of a review of uh, the, the import duties that were, were put in place for a very legitimate reason. So we're, we're, we're launching our, our response and our uh, rebuttal and uh, at all levels of uh, the Trump administration, and, and we'll engage our congressional champions as necessary to inform them that, listen, that now is not the time. This is not a rational uh, action taken by the government of Argentina, and it's certainly not merited for any type of uh, review and, and modification of those import duties. Kurt, can you quantify, or in, in, to some degree, estimate the damage that could be done to U.S. biodiesel industry if these changes were allowed? Sure. I mean, going back to, you know, when we were seeing six or seven or eight hundred million gallons of imported Argentinian product, you know, the U.S. biodiesel industry was was operating at 50 percent of capacity or lower. You know, we've had, since these import duties have been in place, the domestic industry has responded. You know, over the first six to nine months of this year, we're up anywhere from, you know, at one point it was 40% higher uh, year over year in U.S. production. I think right now we're, we're about 25%. So it has had a significant um, impact, particularly in areas that were 
most negatively affected by uh, shipments of uh, imported subsidized products from Argentina. And and Mike, here's here's the irony of this. You know, you've got an administration that is that is fighting. Um, you know, ally trade partners and, and foes alike and trying to get better deals for uh, U.S. consumers and producers, which we're all for. Uh, but in the short term, you know, you've seen American farmers kind of take the brunt of a lot of that. And this is this is a situation where it seems like the administration is going out of its way to accommodate Argentinian producers, at, again, at the expense of, of U.S. soybean farmers and biodiesel producers. So, it's it's a very curious action that they would take um, because this isn't this isn't an America first action. This is a an Argentina first action. So we're we're trying to get to the bottom of it and try to figure out what would compel uh, this administration, who is so adamant in support of uh, free and and fair trade for U.S. producers, to go to this length to try to accommodate uh, the Argentinian producer. We're talking with Kurt Kavarik, National Biodiesel Board's Vice Pre- President of Public Affairs. Kurt, and to follow up on, on your last comment, and we've seen this with different administrations, different parties, and I know it's frustrating that there seems to be little consistency in the support for the U.S. biodiesel industry. I mean, this is about uh, uh, supporting and protecting a domestic industry that has proven its capabilities and its value but yet we're constantly you're constantly battling these kind of decisions and changes and uh, whether it's uh, in the tax incentives or in these uh, duties i mean it's or the waivers that are granted it seems like there's always something that sets back uh, this industry that's right unfortunately you know we're, we're constantly working in washington to to raise our awareness to educate um, office holders at, at all level and all agencies about the benefits of the U.S. biodiesel industry, what we offer to uh, value-added agriculture, what we offer to uh, energy security, economic benefits. But it is, it's a constant challenge. I mean, we are ever, ever working to, to inform folks, whether it's at USDA, EPA, now Commerce, and obviously the White House, as to uh, the impacts of some of these decisions are on biodiesel. And quite frankly, I think it's a lot of times it's just ignorance or just the unaware, uh, being unaware of what the U.S. biodiesel industry is, what it offers to our to our country in terms of economic and environmental and agriculture benefits. And then, you know, once they learn about it, they, they become a supporter and, a, and, a, and want to help us. But there's a lot of um, education and, and outreach that has to take place to get to that point. So hopefully yeah. at some point in time, you know, we'll, we'll have, you know, uh, turn, the, turn the needle on most of these folks and they'll be champions for us. But it's, uh, in the meantime, we've got a lot of work to do. And to be fair, a final decision has not been made on this that, it, that the changes are going to be granted. But just the fact they're willing to look at it has to really concern you. That's right. And it's, it just adds another layer of uncertainty uh, for the domestic industry and feedstock providers is, you know, what are, you know, we, we were led to believe that um, with the positive outcomes of the trade cases that this was a multi-year uh, success, an outcome. So to have something like this kind of come at us as a little bit of a curveball. But like you said, it's, it's not a done deal. They've got, they've got at least a 270-day a period of time where they're, where they're allowed to look at it. Um, we're going to, you know, we're going to press them pretty hard to make sure, because we believe, you know, on the facts and with the, 
with the data that we have, you know, we, we believe we still have a strong case, and we just want to ensure that the process is fair. Department of Commerce looks at all this information and that there isn't something at a, at a, a higher political uh, level kind of at play here. We'll, we'll, we'll try to get to the bottom of this, and uh, we're confident we'll prevail. Um, it's just another, another kind of uncertainty within our industry that we're, we're, we're dealing with. Yeah, because I was wondering, as you were describing the situation, is this something like uh, a trade-off uh, to get something else that this is thrown into uh, talks with Argentina? I guess that's what you have to look into to see what else might be going on behind the scenes here. That's right. Anything's possible, and that's why you know we're prepared to have conversations at, uh, at every level to ensure that people understand what the, what the ramifications are of uh, accommodating Argentina over U.S. soybean farmers and biodiesel producers. Meanwhile, you've got a lot more coming up, uh, waiting for those RVO levels uh, for 2019. That's right. RVO levels, we, we expect uh, EPA has committed to have them out on time. The deadline is November 30th, so we'll probably read about them while we're, while we're sitting down with our families to have our Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, we'll probably learn where uh, EPA is uh, at with respect to our RVOs. They, they have accommodated us in the a modest increase of um, 330 million gallons over the previous year, so we're we're positive. We, we feel good about that. And we're hopeful that that number stays the same. But you know, we continue to uh, make our case with the administration that the damage done by granting um, unnecessary and and unneeded exemptions to small refiners from their obligations has done a serious amount of detriment to our industry and uh, needs to be addressed. And the lame duck session, as far as uh, the tax incentive is concerned? Well, we're hopeful and optimistic that, uh, you know, Congress will uh, see to extend uh, this this group of extenders. There's probably around 30 uh, tax policies that lapsed at the end of 2017. They were actually retroactively extended for 17 only in the spring, uh, which was unfortunate uh, because it left us unknowing as to whether that tax credit would be be put back in place. We're optimistic that it will. Uh, we had a letter circulated um, by Congressman Young and Congressman Loebsack of Iowa in, in the fall expressing support for a multi-year extension of this, the biodiesel tax credit before the end of the year, had 46 uh, bipartisan signatures on it. So we, we know there's support in the, the House. There's definitely support in the Senate. It's just a matter of what is the will of this Congress going to be in a, in a short, probably contentious lame duck with a lot of you know, um, important matters to address, including the farm bill, um, keeping the government funded, and whether or not there will be a, a vehicle for tax. We're we're certainly hopeful. We're we're pushing where we can. We've got uh, about two dozen members coming into town next week, or I guess later this week, actually, to uh, to, to have some high level meetings on the hill to impress upon them the importance of providing certainty for this industry in the long term extension of that credit. So I'm hopeful that will be successful, but you never know in these lame duck sessions. Yeah, a lot of key issues for the biodiesel industry. Kurt Kovarik, National Biodiesel Board's Vice President of Public Affairs, joining us to give us an update. Thanks, Kurt. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Have a good All right. Stay with us. This is AOA Adams on Agriculture. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. 
If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed so if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep call now for prices and information and then decide when you see how little they cost discover craftmatic for less up to 50 percent less than today's leading memory foam brand call 1-800-318-7903 that's 1-800-318-7903 1-800-318-7903 call now i'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better how do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle, too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. 
Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, Manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, if you were with us uh, last week, we had a chance to talk a lot of trade with some high-ranking USDA officials, such as USDA Undersecretary for Trade and and, uh, Foreign Agricultural Affairs, Ted McKinney, uh, Ambassador Greg Dowd, our Chief Ag Negotiator. Uh, We also talked with... Last week, Aaron Ennis, the Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. And uh, also, while I was in Kansas City last week, I caught up with Brian Keel, Executive Director of the Farmers for Free Trade Coalition. We were talking trade and some of the trade issues, and he's already looking ahead to next year, a new Congress, and that vote on the new NAFTA, USMCA. Well, I think it's going to be pretty dramatic. Uh, You know, with the House controlled by the Democrats, President Trump is going to have to get his trade bill, USMCA, through Congress, and that means through a democratically held House. You know, the good news is trade is not really a partisan issue. Um, There are Democrats who support trade. There are Republicans who support trade. Throughout ag country, pretty much everybody supports trade because you have to. Um, So... But it's going to be a challenge. Uh, We're worried that we'll have some brinksmanship. We'll have the Democrats not wanting to give President Trump a win. And we could have President Trump threatening to pull us out of NAFTA if he doesn't get his USMCA. And that would not be a good outcome. It looks like for agriculture, it's kind of, it, it followed that do no harm. We didn't seem to lose a lot, although the tariffs are still in place. That's harmful. But maybe dairy gained a little, maybe not as much as they would have liked. But uh, so I guess when it's all said and done, we're almost kind of where we were, maybe a little bit earlier. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it really is kind of NAFTA 2.0. We can rebrand it and call it USMCA if we want, but it's basically NAFTA. And, you know, what we've been saying for years is NAFTA is fantastic for U.S. agriculture. I mean, if you don't get that, if you're an ag and you don't get that, you're missing something because Canada, single largest exporter or purchaser of U.S. ag products, Mexico's number three. I mean, they're right there, one in three, you know, biggest ag exports. But these tariffs are still hurting. That's right. So, so as, as your listeners will recall, uh, the United States put tariffs on inbound steel and aluminum uh, to try to protect and rebuild our steel industry. Um, we did it calling it a national security issue, which um, really, I think, upset Canada and Mexico because they're like, you know, they're our allies. So we've put tariffs on their steel and aluminum. They've retaliated with tariffs on pork, on cheese, on apples, on processed food. Those tariffs haven't been lifted as part of USMCA, and I think a lot of us are scratching our head as to why. 
you know, if, if they're a good trading partner that we can cut a deal with, they certainly can't also be a security risk. Now all the eyes and ears are on talks between the U.S. and China this month to see if something comes out of it. Everyone's kind of starved for some positive news there. They are. I, I hate to be pessimistic, but I am. Uh, I think that, you know, the issues between China and the U.S. are big. Uh, they're not going to be resolved quickly. Um, and I worry that we've got egos involved, that you're going to have President Trump with his backup. You're going to have the premier of China with his backup. They need to find a way to save face and get a deal. Uh, we can't have this drag through 2019 and into 2020. That would do serious long-term harm to U.S. agriculture. And meanwhile, even though there is hope that we'll get something done with Japan, uh, hey, those countries have moved on now, or about to, with TPP without us. That's right. The, the 11 countries that negotiated TPP with the United States, they're moving on without the U.S. So Japan, uh, uh, Australia, Vietnam. Um, it's good that we're considering a uh, trade agreement with Japan. It's good that we're talking about one with the U.K. and the E.U. We should be pushing trade agreements everywhere we can. We need to put our energy into opening new markets, not disrupting markets where we're already winning. What is uh, your agenda now for the rest of this year? Now soon to be talking to a new Congress. Right. So we're going to continue to follow the same playbook. Uh, we did about 40 events last year around the United States. We're going to just stay foot on the gas pedal. Uh, we're going to be talking with Democrats and Republicans in, in districts all across the country, explaining why trade's important to agriculture and why we can't afford to lose these markets. Uh, we're going to be insisting that Democrat and Republican members support the president's USMCA and get it passed. And we're going to be pushing for them to talk to the White House and get the White House to resolve the China trade dispute. When your group is called Tariffs Hurt the Heartland and you get a president that says tariffs are good negotiating tool, uh, so you have a difference of opinion there. We do. Uh, you know, it's important to note, so we've got two campaigns that we're running. We, Farmers for Free Trade is going to really be pushing hard on USMCA, uh, supporting the president. The Tariffs Hurt the Heartland campaign is something we're involved in, but it's also a broad coalition of more than 150 other organizations and businesses. It includes uh, uh, the Retail Federation. It includes the American Petroleum Institute, the National Fertilizer Institute. Uh, a lot of ag businesses are in that coalition as well. There's a lot of entities, a lot of U.S. businesses that really are being hurt by the tariffs. And, and that's what Tariffs Hurt the Heartland is about, is telling the stories of how U.S. ag, manufacturing, retail, service, how those industries are all being hurt by tariffs. That's Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. So trade will continue to be a, a key issue, but uh, we're also focusing in here now. We're into the lame duck session, focusing in on getting this next farm bill done uh, the current house ag committee chair mike conaway and the expected next house ag committee chair colin peterson are meeting today they've got some big decisions uh, to make some things to overcome staff members were told by our friends at politico uh, staff members from both chambers have come up with some options to try to uh, resolve the disagreements and the commodity title of the bill and the committees are looking ways to expand the number of farmers eligible for updating their crop yields because the House bill would concentrate that benefit to producers primarily in the Southwest whose crops were damaged from the 2012 drought. So you got those issues going on and also, of course, the SNAP and worker requirement disagreements that they still have to overcome. And as we talked earlier in the program with uh, Sarah Wyatt with AgriPulse, um, 
Chairman Conway has to come up with something that he can get his party behind on the House side uh, to move forward. Colin Peterson said he pretty much goes with the uh, the Senate version and thinks he can get the Democrats to vote on that, but they've got to get closer to that version to make that happen. So there's still a long ways to go. Uh, we're going to talk with uh, the folks at uh, with some of our friends at Politico tomorrow and uh, hear from them about what they're hearing and their reporting and uh, their sources as uh, things are really in crunch time on the Farm Bill. Colin Peterson told us last week, if they have to, they'll look at an extension, but the, that's certainly not what he wants. He wants to uh, get it done yet this year. We'll see if they can. Talk more about that tomorrow. Thank you for being with us today. Have a great day, everyone. I'm Mike Adams. This is AOA, Adams on Agriculture.